Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hi, everybody. It is Podcast Thursday, which is highly unusual for me. I don't know that I've ever come here on a Thursday afternoon to record, but today I have a special guest, and so I'm just thrilled she could be here with me. I want to welcome Bliss Young to my podcast. I can't believe it's taken so long for us to get to know each other and to be friends and for her to be here, but it's taken the time it's taken. So welcome, Bliss. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I'm here too. I agree. I think it's so funny that, you know, I've heard your name around for so many years and respected the work you were doing and watched um, the Indie Birth name and, and products, quote unquote, um, expand. <laughs> and, uh, and we had never really, you know, I was actually supposed to come and see you when you guys were doing your book tour, you were coming to LA. And then when I looked at it, you were actually in orange County. And I was like, that's not LA. And, Whoops. <laughs> and, and you were like, well, for us, it's, LA ish. And I was thinking I can't get to Orange County today because they're they're about for those of you who don't really know LA, they're about an hour apart. So I was planning to come and see you guys then whenever that was you were doing your tour. Um, But it just the planets didn't align until you started talking about this project of uh, doing Stu and I Dr. Fishbein and I uh, talk about the name and we keep getting lost. It's the sanctuary for (laughs) Yeah, the sanctuary and center for sacred life is the long formal name, but you know, sanctuary is center for sacred life. I, I absolutely love it. And I don't know why, probably because my company name was also called the sanctuary. There's some like misfire that I can't get the whatever comes after the and, but it's an amazing project. And I've been so excited to be chatting with you guys on text messages about all the potential directions that it could go in. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a good, uh, you know, lead in, in a sense, how we got connected besides the obvious having Dr. Stu in common and just being midwives. Yeah, this new project, the sanctuary, and I'm really, really valuing your guidance. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your your sanctuary from years ago. And I just want to know more about you. So for those of that, for those of you that don't know, Bliss hosts the podcast with Dr. Stu. Um, but I want to hear an intro that's about you. I want this to be, let's find out about Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. So I'm a mom. I'm a mom of three children. Uh, I have raised them mainly by myself as a single mom. Um, my birth journey to becoming a midwife really meandered that path really meandered, but my love of, uh, midwifery started when 
my niece was born um, and I was about 13 years old and my sister had me at the birth center um, and I witnessed my niece emerging and it was the most amazing, beautiful thing I had ever seen. Um, but that wasn't really the moment where I decided I was going to become a midwife. But I think that that's what opened my mind to that birth could be like that. Um, yeah, for me, Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, it was just normal. Like, you know, that's, that was my introduction to birth. And then, um, you know, when I got pregnant several years later, I did what everybody does. I looked at, you know, my insurance card and I went to the OB that was in my health plan. And, and then halfway through my pregnancy, I was like, wait a minute, where, why aren't midwives part of this? Why isn't anybody talking to me about birth centers? And, you know, like, I just didn't understand. I was naive. And, uh, it's funny if anybody's heard me interviewed on any other podcasts, like this is kind of my, my story, but, um, it dates me a little bit. (laughs) because back then we didn't do things on websites or even social media. We looked in the yellow page. (laughs) It sounds so funny now, but that's what I did. I looked in the yellow pages and I found the local birth center and I switched care into a group of midwives. And, um, and, you know, I just was, I was able to have that contrasting experience of what it was like to be in a doctor's office and then work with midwives at a birth center. And ultimately as a first time mom, um, you know, I, I fell into that 10% that transports to the hospital. I, I was in labor for 36 hours and I pushed for five or six hours. And my midwife finally said, you know, I think we need to try something different. They had done everything, fundal pressure and like changed positions and like all kinds of nutty stuff when I look back at it. Um, and, uh, I ended up getting a forcep delivery and episiotomy and epidural and separated from my baby, which were all interventions that I was not expecting as a young woman, healthy, you know, but that's the way to a birth center, right? What'd you say? And going to a birth center. I think usually people expect that kind of stuff even less, right? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, but you know, when I look at my past now, I look back on that experience. I know that I needed to have that so that I could really understand what a lot of women are dealing with when they're in the hospital. Um, and not to say that I didn't need those interventions, but I just think it gave me a perspective that is very valuable for the work that we do. Um, and I was told by that same midwife that my pelvis was, uh, abnormal, I don't know how she made that up, but she did and said that I would probably never be able to deliver at home. I would always need assistance. And I carried that belief of this brokenness of my body for many years before I got pregnant again Mm. and really believed that I was just going to have to have a hospital birth. And I, uh, you know, God put another midwife in my path, like from a totally different thing. I wasn't even looking for it. It was like a, like a transformational workshop. And here was this midwife and So I picked her brain and said, you know, what do you think about this? And she said, you deserve a trial of labor. You have a tried pelvis, you know, like, why not give it a shot? And um, so my second delivery was a two and a half hour, beautiful home birth um, in front of the Christmas tree with 20 minutes of pushing. And it was redemptive. It was like one of those moments that we see women when they've been told that things just won't work with their body. You know, a lot of, uh, VBAC moms have this experience, but I felt that. And then the pictures reflected that of like this 
moment of having my baby in my arms and like, oh my God, I was been lied to. My body works. This is the most amazing transformative thing that is possible for us as women. And so I just became an advocate. I just wanted to shout from the rooftops about what this was like, you know, what was possible. And um, I still didn't think I would become a midwife. Uh, just didn't, I, I never thought of myself as a medical provider or anything like that. Um, really back then, I think what I wanted to do, this is, this is an insider thing. I wanted to um, be a motivational speaker. Isn't that funny? Hmm, yeah. <laughs> Even up until the time that I um, opened the sanctuary, which I'll get to in a second, I really believed that the reason why I was opening this birth center was to manifest one of my dreams so that I could help other people fulfill their dreams. And that, and that is always something that is a core of like what I feel like I'm doing here sure. is like, I love helping people fulfill on their dreams and believe in, in big, beautiful dreams. So maybe that's why you and I are having such a love affair with this new sanctuary because yeah, would, you are I, a motivational speaker. See, you're yeah, doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I would want nothing more than to lift, lift up your dream and see it manifest. It's just hmm. makes me so happy. Um, so anyway, uh, I worked with these midwives at the Hollywood Birth Center, which is no longer there. It closed, uh, I don't know, in early 2000s. And um, they helped me also deliver my third baby, which was my most beautiful birth. I was mm. very connected. I, I didn't really need anybody to do or say anything to me. I was very much in my own experience and I could feel my baby moving down the birth canal. And I was had the presence of mind to be able to pray in between contractions. And mm. it just... You know, I wouldn't say it was an ex, like a orgasmic birth or an ecstatic birth, but it was, I, I don't remember or experience in my memory, it being painful. It sure. was just beautiful. It was just a beautiful experience. So, um, I love, I love that I have, you know, such different experiences with each one of them. And, um, and then the, the midwives that owned that birth center, uh, I had done some trade for them when I was pregnant. Um, and they said, you know, we want you to come and be our business manager. And I said, you know, I really want there to be a birth center in Los Angeles because there wasn't at the time, which is crazy in this huge right. city that we're supposed to be so progressive that we didn't have a birth center. So I said, I will come and work with you, but we're going to open a birth center. That's, that's what I want to do. And so we did, and we dreamed wow. up this amazing center and uh, it was um, a collaborative uh, working environment where, you know, midwives and doctors and um, lactation consultants and acupuncturists and chiropractors and massage therapists all worked together. And we also had a beautiful eco boutique where we sold all the products that we thought were amazing for people when they were pregnant or raising mm -hmm. babies, cloth diapers and supplements and books and, you know, all yeah, those things. The dream. <laughs> the dream. And then, um, we had a, we had an educational center that we called the wisdom movement center. So we would do like movement classes like yoga and stuff. And then also obviously like professional workshops and, um, childbirth education and mom's groups. And yeah, it was pretty amazing and a lot of hard work and I'm so glad that I did it. Uh, and when I, when I, left when I closed it in 2015, it was 
also the best decision I ever made for myself personally, because Mm. I think I envisioned it to be this beautiful thing that I could kind of just turn over and start to do other things in my life. And the reality was, as I was always behind a desk, you know, doing the work to keep the business going. And it just wasn't really that part of it wasn't fulfilling for me. Um, and I made the decision to go and get my license at that point because the midwives that had come to work for me, these younger, newer midwives were practicing in a way that I had never been. I mean, that wasn't how my midwives cared for me. Hmm. And, um, so I started to kind of push back and, and say, why are we doing all these tests? Why are we doing sweeps? Why are we, you know, why are we doing these things? It didn't make any sense to me. It wasn't what midwifery was to me. Yeah. And, um, they really pushed back and said, you don't have a license. You don't understand. And I said, is well, that where, is that where all the changes you think came from was licensing newer at that point. I'm not aware of like the history of California. No, licensure happened before I had my last two children. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just the education. I think it's just how midwives are being trained now. And yeah, say more about that if you don't mind. And like, no, hold your, hold your thought on your, on your personal story, which is no, not at all. I mean, I think that's important. I think that they, you know, really believed that I was naive, these midwives, and that once I got my education, that that would change me. And I thought in a way, maybe it would too. Um, And I chose to not do a distance program. I chose to do a a program that was in San Diego that you could actually go with the intention of sitting at the feet of elder midwives Mm. like that in my mind and my dream was what it was going to be like. Um, and the reality was it, it wasn't, it was very much learning about the medical aspects of this quote unquote profession. And so, you know, I felt like, okay, I started to look at it. Like, this is just a way for me to get a license so that I can legally practice. Um, and I didn't change the heart of who I was and the history that I had had, you know, being around midwifery for, you know, 40 years, uh, with the birth of my niece. Um, you know, I I had been around, I'd been around, I had seen things. I had my own children. I'd worked with lots of midwives. I had seen the historical arc of no licensure to licensure, you know? So that's the heart of who I was as a, as a midwife, you know, um, didn't change just because I got the license. Um, I love that. I mean, that's, I would agree like a major issue. Yeah. Nowadays with educating midwives. And I think you and I have that in common. Yeah. Um, just that, you know, my apprenticeship was with unlicensed midwives that it wasn't a part of my upbringing as a midwife to be concerned about, you know, whatever was going on in the government and outside of the birth process. So I feel really grateful for that too. Cause I think that really instills in you, you know, like you're saying kind of like your identity, like who you really are, no matter what, what is going to happen around you. Yeah. And you know, the, what, what really like piqued my interest in midwifery was at my, in my first, I mean, besides the delivery of my niece, um, is in my first pregnancy, I was 20 years old. Mm. And I picked up a book called Immaculate Deception. Do you know this book? I have heard of it, but I have not read it. This is Suzanne Arms. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I read this book and it was the history of obstetrics and how we moved away from the traditional midwifery model into, you know, the industrial complex, as we call it now. And I was fascinated. Um, I just, I was so fascinated by how we could get to where we were now. And I think that became a, a foundation of my passion and love for midwifery is its roots. You know, it's, mm. it's where it came from. So um, that never, that never left me. And I have to say, Marin, um, I am really inspired by your ability to think so far outside of the box. I mean, I think I'm, I'm an outside of the box thinker and I think midwives in general mostly are outside of the box thinkers, but you are like, another step beyond for me in my, in, in my exposure of, of, you know, really bringing up these conversations and really living um, true to this belief that, you know, it's not about asking permission and it's not about what the government um, dictates or says that you can or can't do. It's that core belief that uh, women have a right to be able to, deliver their babies in any way that they see fit. And we're just here to do our best to support them and that there are so many limitations from licensure and, and uh, overseeing bodies. And I believe that in my heart and I'm still licensed. And so mm -hmm. I, I really am grappling with um, the, the places that it's limiting and that I feel really frustrated. And I, I look to you and your story to say, you know, it is possible for me to let go of my license, which is something that I think I told you I am mm. considering. I, yeah. And I don't think I could do it in California. I think I'd have to move out of California, but. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I admire that. And I always say, you know, people should just do what's working for them. But if you hit a point where you feel like it's not working, then it is something to look at. And I think it's so much bigger than the license and the politics. I think it's something I felt like you were hitting on even with your own birth stories, which is birth is a spiritual process yeah. and sometimes it's not right. And sometimes we need our skills. So that's why we're midwives. We're not doulas. We're not, you know, we have the skills hopefully that we need, but at the core, like that's been my experience too, with my own children's births is that birth is not just physical. And I feel like that's the issue with licensing. You know, it's not really the license. It's that we're not able to honor that in a woman fully, um, all of the time. Like there becomes places where, you know, well, this rule or you're 42 weeks or whatever, and it becomes, um, you know, shallow. It's like, well, you're just this physical person and you're at this date or whatever it is. So I don't know. That's kind of a rabbit hole. It's the rabbit hole that I love to chat mm -hmm. about. Um, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating to me. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand how we've gotten to a place where something so, um, natural, is regulated by the government like that part it just it never makes sense in my mind how they could tell a woman you're 42 weeks so therefore you don't have an option anymore of 
who can be your provider or where you can deliver. Right. Now, again, informed consent, you know, and making, giving her information so that she could make an educated decision. But to, to take away her right to be able to do that, um, I, that's where the rub really right. hits Right. Me. And to have it be through another party, which is the midwife usually because the woman really can go do whatever she wants. I mean, True. you know, yeah. she can go stand on her head and yeah. have a baby in a teepee, but they're regulating <laughs> through us saying, yeah. yeah, you can't care for this woman and you will need to abandon her care or whatever. So it's really, really tricky um, because it is rights, but then it's also, you know, a woman's right to choose who she wants and having full informed choice around what that means when she chooses this person or that person. And that's yeah. like still not super clear to people. Yeah. And, you know, I have this other part of my history, um, where there was a midwife, uh, Katie McCall. Do you know her story? Oh, right. I do recall this story as yeah, she was so a student now. So Katie McCall came to us um, right before she got her licensure and the, and the situation that got her in trouble um, was before she came. It was, I don't know, a year or two before that. So she was, um, she was a student and she had some midwives who were supposed to come to a birth um, and she had set that up with them and, um, and then neither one of them came. And she had told the parents that she couldn't take care of them because she was a student and they refused to go to the hospital. And so instead of leaving them, she stayed and said, I'm just going to stay and sit in the corner in case um, anything happens. And something did happen. She had a shoulder dystocia and a massive hemorrhage. Mm. And uh, Katie stepped in and saved both of those, both of their lives. And, um, and then, uh, you know, it, it, it was what it was. It was reported to the medical board and, you know, she thought it just kind of disappeared. And then once she got her license, she was working for the sanctuary, my, my birth center and many, many police cars came and pulled up and yeah. took her away in handcuffs after she had gotten her license, like six months later. Um, and you know, it was traumatizing and I went, I went through the entire, uh, court case. I was there every single day, um, to support her and she ended up losing her license and, um, and had to move out of the state in order to practice again. And, um, so those things also stick with you, you know, and yeah. And I don't want to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I would like to continue to practice. Um, so it is that rub, right? It's that rub of like, how do you do what you feel is right in your heart, in your soul? If you're talking about like from a spiritual perspective and yet not feel like you're doing something foolish that would change your life and, and cause you not to be able to continue to care for more women in the future. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's I think, a huge topic. Mm-hmm. I think you've grappled with that, right? Because you made the decision to give up your license. Yeah. And I think we all grapple with it. Like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we all still do license or not. Like, I think, you know, Nathan and I were doing a podcast today and somehow hit on a similar topic of like, 
the witch hunts aren't quite the same as they used to be. Like people aren't hung, but that's still the reality of the world we live in. So I'm not ignoring that, but I think the intimidation is key, you know, and, and these stories that we tell, and I have them too, you know, my preceptor's house was searched and that was horribly traumatic and her kids were there. And, you know, that's something I carried for a long time to be like, oh my God, like that can't happen to me. And then working towards a point where you're like, well, you know, this is my life and I'm here and I'm here to do this work and whatever comes I'll deal with, you know, is, is kind of how I feel at this point, because I think they want us to be afraid. I think they want us to replay those scenes in our heads and say, I'll just agree to it then, you know, and we we each just make our own choice. It's not like there's a one size fits all about it. No, <laughs> but I am inspired by your ability to have more freedom than I feel like I have at this time and not be in jail. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. It's a huge pendulum swing. I feel like, you know, like those are two completely different things and they are. And then in the middle is so much gray, you know, there's so much. I think work to be done together on this. Um, and maybe that's a podcast for another day, you know, is like digging more into that and, and thinking about it, because I think it's a primary reason people don't want to become midwives. I think that's like a huge topic we get, uh, from women. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyway, I think there's, I think there's so much work there for us to do, to be able to create the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I don't want to, I don't want to forget where we were in your story. I want you to continue if it feels good or, or, or take whatever other road. I didn't mean to derail you. No, I don't think you did. I think then I got my license. (laughs) And then you got your Um, license. Then I got my license and I have been practicing. And, um, the first time I caught a baby was just the most, I mean, I just was like, it was like, you know, like, the heavens opened. I just felt like what took me so long? This is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And, you know, now in my practice, you know, most of the time I encourage a mom or dad, you know, or partner to, to catch the baby, because I really believe that the first hands that should touch their baby is theirs. But if they don't want to, or it's just doesn't work out because they're wrapped around each other or something. Um, I am, delighted to catch their sweet little baby and welcome their baby or side. Um, yeah, but I love it. And I feel, you know, the other thing that I think is, is kind of a foundation of my practice is I really, when I was in school, we had to do an interview of another midwife. Um, and I interviewed, um, Marina Alcuzar. I never know how to pronounce her last name, but, um, She's an amazing midwife uh, who's not really practicing anymore, but she's been around for a, for a long time. And one of the things that she said in this interview that just like became a foundation for who I am as a midwife is that it was our responsibility to walk into that room each time totally clear of any fear and any of our own BS that yes. we had to do whatever we needed to do. If we had a situation that was scary or, you know, whatever to process it before we walked into another birth room. And so it is a, it is a big, big deal to me to always walk into a birth room 
and just take each experience as if it's completely brand new because it is. It's every time there's it's unique because that baby and that mom and that family and everything, it's always different. And so I pride myself on on doing that and and I hear so many people practicing from a place of fear, you yeah. know, whether it's a doctor or a midwife or a doula or and it's sad to me because I love the birth space. And I really do feel like when I'm in the birth space, I am a conduit for spirit. Like I don't come in thinking about who or what I need to do. I really am this open conduit so that I can hear what, if anything I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I I feel so relaxed in a birth room. You know, people are like, Oh, that's a lot of responsibility. And isn't it scary? And I'm, I'm like, it's like one of my favorite places in the whole world to be mm. in the birth space. Um, and so that's kind of how I knew finally, after all these people saying, why aren't you a midwife? Why aren't you a midwife? And I was like, no, 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 it's not for me. Um, but once I really was there and the path took me there, you know, it was obvious. It was a calling that just kept coming back. Like this nagging voice, like you should be a midwife. Um, and so knowing how, how I just feel like it, it, it was meant to be. It's like when you finally find your lover or your husband and you're like, Oh my God, of course, you know, yeah. this is just so easy. Um, that's how I feel about midwifery. It just feels like it's meant to be. And not that, not that being a midwife is an easy lifestyle, but it's the right one for me for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's super inspiring. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about too, just being really clear always and, you know, having new ways and, and, and processing to leave the last birth behind, whether it was great or not great, doesn't even matter. Right. It's just appearing fresh and yeah, like you're saying, just being open. Um, so I want to hear if you have any like great secrets around that. Tell me, tell me, tell me how you Um, best do that for families. Right secrets. Um, I, I think it's a context, like, like you were just sharing. I think it's a, it's a mindset to, to really, um, be very present in every moment and, um, and always know that it's a unique situation and really, um, navigating those waters. And I do that in life. So it's not like it's just in the birth room. It really is about like, you know, trying not to have, um, expectations of people or, or prejudge people or experiences, but really like be present to what is actually happening in the moment. Um, and that's really kind of how I live my life. But then I think the other part is radical self-care. I think it's really important that we care for ourselves and, um, having time after a birth to really not have to jump right back into taking care of other people or rushing, or, you know, I always, um, unless there's a a situation why I can't, I take the next day off and, um, and really just give myself the space to just be without filling, filling it all in so that I can really process and knowing when you may need, um, support you know, if you've had some trauma or if you've had something that's really difficult, having peers that you really trust to be able to process that work with. Um, and in the, in the hardest situation, being able to say to another midwife, like, I think I need someone to go 
without, you know, instead of me, I had, um, I lost my daughter to uh, gun violence in 2019. Yeah. And, um, I had to have other midwives come, you know, I, I wanted to be there. I didn't not want to be there. Um, I wanted to be with these people because we had bonded so much. And actually those, those families that were in my care in that year, probably the people I'm closest to, (laughs) you know, yeah, we went through some really beautiful moments together, but, um, I knew that I didn't have the cognitive ability to handle a complication. I knew that I could be there with my heart and soul and spiritually I could, I could be there for them, but I didn't feel like the cognitive firing that fast action. I didn't feel like I wanted to be responsible for that. So I brought other midwives with me. And I think it's knowing your limitations and being responsible for your own burnout. Um, and, uh, and, and doing the deep spiritual work, you know, I meditate, I pray, um, I, I feed myself really well. I, I walk a lot. I'm out in nature a lot. Um, I have really, really good peers and friends that I feel like I can talk openly and honestly to. Um, and I think all of that is really, really important. Mm. Yeah. It is so important. You know, when you talk about just health in this context, I think it's a whole other conversation separate from the way normal people take care of themselves maybe. Right. Like yeah, it's so crucial and gosh, I can't, Yeah. I can't imagine just, you know, the heartbreak of losing your daughter and still being there for people. And that must've just been so challenging in a million ways, but to take care of yourself. Yeah. It was wild. It was wild. It was, I was at a birth a week after she passed and I, you know, I had every opportunity to not go. I had a beautiful community of midwives and my clients would have absolutely, of course, understood a hundred percent. Um, but there was no place else that I wanted to be because I told you, I love the birth space and I feel like it, that, you know, if we're talking from a spiritual perspective, that's where the veil is very thin. Right. And Mm -hmm. so the, the continuity of life and death are both these moments in time and life when we're, and then sex, at least really great sex Mm -hmm. where you really are present, you know, and really like meeting the moment where it's at and feeling yourself in a, in a completely different way. And I think that, you know, as a culture, we think about death only in one dimension of it just being something that's really scary and something that is difficult and, and we want to avoid, but when you're really in it, when you're really in that period of time where you've had loss and where you're processing and grieving and working through it, especially those early days, um, I, I really felt like I was so connected to something beyond this physical world. And so the birth space, if, um, if it felt right to the family to have me there and we processed a lot in prenatal visits, you know, so I think that they could feel comfortable that I was not going to take away from their experience, but add to it. And, um, it just felt like I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else besides being by these amazing people during this amazing time. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I'm so just happy you were supported in that way. I can imagine just those connections and, you know, the, the craziness of life, like sitting in that space, like you're saying, and welcoming in this new soul and being 
I'm sure every, every emotion under the sun, but that's the definition of a midwife. You know, that's a true midwife I think is, is being able to sit with that veil. Um, and you, you know, we both know it like, doesn't, it doesn't always mean life, but it, it doesn't always mean death. Like we don't know. And that conversation I feel like is an odd one. You know, people don't often have it. And I bring it up with my clients, at least like that, that's what they're feeling. I want them to be aware that in, in those moments, right. Like there, there is the opportunity for, for both sides of the coin. Like we feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I had this, I don't know if it was like a daydream or dream, but I had this thought at some point in the last few months where I just, I was dreaming of this practice, this way of practicing, and maybe it's possible in other countries where we don't have the legislation that we have here, or, you know, maybe some subcultures that, that accept life and death in a different way than we do culturally. But to be, you know, I was thinking about our, our four mothers, (laughs) I don't know how to say that the, the midwives that, you know, were long ago where, you know, like in the red tent, the book where you, where you just were present for what God was giving you. And you didn't know if it was going to be the celebration of life, or if it was going to be the process of letting go of something, but both are beautiful and sacred and, and, and important for being human. Right. I mean, can't control any of that, but Mm -hmm. it's such a different, it's just such a different world that we live in. And then it becomes about someone being responsible for life or death, which it's a fallacy in so many ways, but it has us practice in a way that, um, is different than just, we're going to see, what God intends for this moment for us. And we're going to walk that together. And I do, I do, you know, I talk to, when I talk to mentees or students or, you know, people who are thinking about this path, you know, I, I, I do talk about like all of the things that have happened in our lives, especially the more difficult ones, they really do prepare us for the becoming a midwife rather than those boxes that we check off in order to get our licensure and stuff like that. But this ability to hold space for whatever this family is going through. And, you know, I think that was one of the differences of those young midwives that worked for me back at the sanctuary is that both of them didn't, they hadn't, they were young and they hadn't had children themselves. And, you know, it's a, it's a very different practice um, when you haven't walked those really, those dark nights of the soul yourself to be able to say like, I got you, I, I, I'm here for you and not back away from those moments. And I believe traditionally the wise women had lived, lived a lot of life and therefore they were able to walk people on this path, whatever it was, light, mm-hmm. dark, joyous, um, funny, sexy, yeah, whatever. Art, you know? yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I love that. I feel the same way. And yeah, checking the boxes is so different than, right, like you're saying, living your life, like is how you live your life really that separate from how you midwife? And I think we would both say no, and it shouldn't be, but that is a huge point of contention in like education um, of a profession, right? Because it's become a profession. So that's really, really fascinating. Uh, And I agree so much with all of it. You know, I was just 
talking with my mentor about, about similar, you know, all of these things, all of the time, life and death, all of the time. And she even said the exact same thing. She's like, in days gone by the midwives role was to serve at the birth and everyone waited to hear if the baby was alive or not. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't anyone's fault or it wasn't anyone's triumph. You know, it was just, this is the way life is. And, you know, it's interesting to think about just, just how to get back to that in a way so that things could change for the better, you know? Yeah. You know, I was going to tell you, I was thinking about our time together today and I was going to tell you one of the other things that you've inspired me in our conversations or listening to you in your podcast, um, is this conversation of, of the new, I think when, when you came on uh, the birthing instincts podcast, this is one of the things that we talked about. And you said, I don't, I don't think that we can get, go back, which I agree. I don't think you can ever go back, but I hear in a lot of your languaging is, is what we're creating, you know, of the new that we're integrating where we are now. And I do think, you know, with COVID and, you know, all the divisiveness and, you know, a lot of the things that are going on are the, you know, the planet (laughs) dying and all the things that are happening to us as humans or for us as humans, I think it's calling for something different from us as midwives, you know, I think our role is changing. If, if we're talking about midwifery in the way that you and I are talking about it, like we're, you know, we're spiritual guides in a way, in a, in a very intense physical experience for people. Um, I think it's asking more of us than we even totally understand at this point. I think it's evolving. And I, I love that way of thinking about, Cause I always want to go back. I'm like, let's go back to the villages. Let's go back to like being in tune with the earth. And, you know, but I think you're so right. I think it's about creating something new and what are we creating? But with the wisdom of the old, I don't think you're wrong. I think in a lot of ways we are channeling that. And that's the other power that we have, like as, as women and as midwives, right. Or like the lifetimes we've lived and all of the knowledge that we have in there. And the trauma too, like we were saying, the witch hunts, like we've got all of it. We've got all of it in there. And now we're at a point where it's like, what is this supposed to look like? And I don't want this medicalized version of midwifery. I mean, it'll, it'll exist if it's supposed to exist. And there are plenty of people that can carry that torch. It's just yeah. not going to be me. Yeah, and me I'm too. fine. Yeah. I'm fine with whatever mm-hmm. word we even come up with to describe what we feel we are really doing in this, in this deep and personal way. I don't even care if it's midwife. I'd be happy to, to just call it something else, you know? And I think that would also change the discussions around, yeah, kind of all the fear-based, you know, defensive medicine kind of stuff too. It's like, we're not even doing that. Leave us alone. (laughs) I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I honestly feel is like, just mind your own business. That's not what's happening here this is woman's work. You wouldn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So, you know, how can we continue that? And it sounds like you're mentoring people and, and doing your own work to, you know, keep traditional midwifery alive. I want to hear more about that because I know it's happening. Um, 
Yeah. You mean the Bridge Midwives Project? Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and you know, whatever else you want to share about. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's definitely what I feel most passionate about right now is um, uh, it's a project um, that the intention is to keep the wisdom and ancient traditions of midwifery alive. And I think you're right. I think that there are plenty of midwives and plenty of schools and plenty of people that want midwifery to be kind of a subcategory of obstetrics. Um, And then there are those of us who really desire for something different and something um, that is a wisdom that was passed down from woman to woman. And that's traditionally what midwifery was. We would sit at the feet of the wise woman and we would learn her ways herbalism, spirituality, what she did with her hands, you know, try to understand her thought Mm. processes and things. And then of course we would become our own midwife that would be different from our, our elders, but we learned so much from them. And that in this modern culture is, is not necessarily something that we still do. Um, And so I wanted to be able to figure out in this digital environment where everything's online. And, you know, especially during COVID, it was like, we're not even traveling anymore. Like the ability to even go to these midwives was being um, infringed upon. And I didn't even know, like, was that going to ever be possible again in some ways? Um, And so I created this project and, and brought in a bunch of other amazing midwives and we call ourselves the bridge midwives. And the intention is to bridge that ancient wise ways with the newer midwives who are coming in and um it will be a podcast which i will be the host called um at her feet Mm -hmm. um where i will go all over the world and interview midwives and um give them the opportunity to pass down some words of wisdom that they feel like they would like to give to the next generation. Um, and these are midwives who have you know been practicing for a very long time either you know um in more traditional ways in other countries or here in our country that, you know, 40, 50 years they've been practicing, they've seen a lot and we want to honor them and we want to honor them by doing ceremony as they decide that they are ready to release the practice of midwifery because, you know, there becomes a certain time for most midwives where they feel like they don't want to be on call anymore. And, um, we don't have that in our culture where we, where we do, uh, you know, these sacred rituals to honor the different phases of life. Um, we, I think as midwives, we try and implement that and bring that in like with, um, blessing ways and, um, and celebrating when a woman has her first menses and all of that. Um, but we don't have one for these beautiful midwives who have given their lives to this tradition. So that's another part of it. And then, for the midwives who, uh, the elder midwives who want to really go deep and really like give away as much as possible, we will um, do film. Um, and I, I come from, I mean, I'm, I haven't studied, but I'm a film lover and mm-hmm. come from a family of film lovers. And so I imagine capturing what it would feel like and look like to actually sit at this woman's feet. So what is her culture? Like what's her environment? Like what is, what does her practice look like? You know, what are her hands look like? Where does she sit? Where does her, what does her altar look like? So that you can get an essence, not just this talking head of education, but Mm. like, 
the feeling that it would be if you were sitting at her feet. And so um, there'll be these beautifully uh, curated images and, and videos of these, of these women giving away their wisdom in a way that they can be compensated for any of the downloads that people would get from the website. Because I think that that's really important too, in this um, time of feeling like a lot of traditional cultures have been appropriated and they haven't been compensated and, and taken care of in getting, in utilizing those wisdom is making sure that any of the revenue that comes through for that is given back to them. Um, and then there's a lot of other little pieces, but that's the heart of it. The heart of it is really, um, you know, making sure that this wisdom doesn't become extinct, like a language or, uh, you know, an animal that we're so concerned about now. Um, it's just keeping that alive and, and physically feeling like there's a way for this to be passed down. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's such a great use of technology. You know, when you think of like the opposite and just crazy social media and how those midwives, like the older ones for sure, you know, weren't a part of that. And so people don't know who they are. And I, I just was having a similar conversation with someone the other day along those lines, like, oh, don't you know, so-and-so, you know, this midwife, this elder midwife and, and people don't, if they're not on social media, people don't know who they are. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. obviously there's so much wisdom to be captured and so few midwives really in like the scope of, of the world. And like, <laughs> you know, there's so few really that that's a brilliant idea. I can't wait to see and, and hear and learn from that. I would yeah, to. me too. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> it's like, you know, as much as I love being in birth rooms, like sitting at wise women's feet and hearing them just talk about these things it's almost as, as juicy as, uh, as oh my gosh, yeah. a brand new baby enter the world. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that really is how we learn. I think the women and babies definitely teach us, but these women that, yeah, have just massive amounts of experience and, and different experience, you know, like I feel so, um, you know, not worldly in a midwifery way. Like I've been here, I've done this and you know, it's valuable. I'm sure to people here, but how does it look? How does it look other places? And, and what do midwives have to contend with? Like, I have all these questions around. Oh, good. Yeah. Like just how <laughs> it's different, you know, cause we're yeah. so used to what we, what we think we know that that will be really, really cool. Yeah. And I think that culturally, you know, when we get outside of our box and we realize like birth is a really birth itself mm -hmm. is the same everywhere. Women's bodies do the same thing, you know, but there's all of these different cultural perspectives on things. And so it opens up our minds a little bit as midwives, as women to, to hear that there's different ways of supporting and, and belief systems that we're not even aware of. And I think that that's really healthy um, for us to continue to expand right. what we understand about this. Oh yeah. To get out of our little bubble mm -hmm. um, and yeah, see the world for the bigger place that it is. And just taking those lessons, you know, because I feel like, you know, just here, even birth, birth can sometimes feel so hard, you know, and I've been thinking about that a lot, like what has changed. And I think we really need the wisdom of, of the past to answer that question, because I don't know how it was 30 years ago, attending births. 
So yeah, it's hard, it's hard to answer that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know either, but mm-hmm. there are women alive still who could tell us all about it. Yeah. Well, lovely. Anything you'd like to finish with or close with? I know we kind of meandered, but it felt like, <laughs> felt like a good chat. It was a lovely chat. Um, no, I mean, I think the other thing that I'm really feeling passionate about is the mentorship. And so, um, I am starting another group of mentees in August and I do do private, uh, one-on-one mentorship with birth keepers. So that's, you know, people ask like, is this for doulas? Is it for students only? Is it for midwives? It's like, what I keep telling people is if this feels like it's for you, if you're passionate about birth work, wherever you are in that spectrum of just, you know, wanting to be involved and, and support it, then it's for you. So, yeah. 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 A midwife for the midwife or or the doula or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I bet that's so great. Yeah. And I really, you know, I can't, I can't touch everybody, every belly in the world. Right. So it's wonderful to be able to um, feel like I'm supporting and lifting up other women who are passionate about this work. Um, and it's been a hard few years. And, and I think that a lot of people um, have felt kind of beaten down and felt isolated and didn't know where their tribe was. And um, so, you know, in that circling back to what I said about like, one of my passions is to really inspire people to follow their dreams or manifest their dreams. You know, I I think that that's the heart of this work is like, where does, where is your passion? Where is it coming from? And how do you stay in touch with it and build something from that passion that is your gift on the planet? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we are so lucky. I think you and I love the work that we do and we feel like it's our soul's journey. And I, I want that for everyone. I want everyone to be doing work on the planet that is their unique gift that they feel passionate about. And this is one of those ways that I feel like I can help people do that. You're so good at it, whether someone's uh-huh. growing a baby or, you know, some other kind of dream. Yeah, Aww, I've really appreciated I, you. Yeah, well, it was great to chat. I'm glad we finally did this because we've been trying to schedule it for so long. <laughs> yeah, it worked out perfectly, though. Who yeah. knew what would come out? But yeah, thanks so much for being here. And maybe we'll we'll do some follow ups with some of those other topics if uh, it aligns. I feel like that would Anytime. be fine, too. Anytime. I would love to, uh, to chat with you and your listeners again, anytime. Sweet. All right. Thanks bliss. And thanks everybody else for listening. We'll catch you next week.